This morning, uh, just prior to going into the uh, Lord's Supper, uh, what I'd like to do is just basically uh, review my last message with you out of uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Again, for the sake of our guests, we are presently in a book study uh, of Hebrews. It's just been an absolutely wonderful study as uh, we've seen the uh, supremacy of uh, Christ and just His majesty and uh, glory. And, of course, the uh, focus of chapter 10 was the supremacy of Christ's sacrifice over the Old Testament uh, sacrifices. Now, I'm not going to uh, preach this message again. I'm just going to run through the outline very, very quickly. If you missed the message, I would strongly encourage you to go to the church website, edgewoodbaptistchurch.us, and uh, you would be able to hear the message there. But uh, I, I believe it would be a, a wonderful way for us to just make a transition this morning uh, into the uh, Lord's Supper. And so in that last message, in the first four verses, the focus was on the inadequacy of the Old Covenant uh, sacrifices. And we saw uh, basically uh, four reasons uh, why they were inadequate. And the first one was they were a shadow and not the substance. Therefore, they could not provide access to God. Uh, you remember the illustration I gave you of uh, Kathy's picture? Uh, I mentioned that uh, some months before we were married, uh, we were separated. I was involved in a ministry up in uh, New York, and uh, she was at home in uh, Maryland getting w uh, ready for the ceremony. And so for uh, several months, we were separated, and a very special picture of Kathy sort of almost became an object of worship for me prior to the, uh, to the wedding. Uh, and uh, it was a very beautiful picture, and, and of course, it uh, uh, created an ache in my heart to, to be with the uh, real person. And, uh, and then I mentioned, you know, if uh, once I went back for the wedding, how odd would it have been if I would have come down the aisle clutching that picture in my arms and, uh, you know, just uh, am enamored with the picture, kissing the picture frame. Listen, idiot, you got the real thing sitting next to you. Throw away the picture and grab her and uh, enjoy uh, your, your bride. And we said, that's the same idea with the old covenant and the sacrifices. They were, they were a shadow of things to come. They were a picture uh, to make people ready for the coming of Jesus. And, uh, and, and the fact that they were just a shadow, not the substance, meant they could not provide uh, access uh, to God's presence. Because you remember in the old covenant, uh, only one person went into the Holy of Holies. That was the high priest and only one time a year. Uh, and uh, other than that, no other Israelite ever had access to the presence of God. Uh, the second uh, area where we saw their inadequacy was they required repetition, uh, but never provided remission. In other words, the Old Testament sacrifices uh, had to be repeated over and over and over again because they did not provide any true remission for sin. And again, their basic purpose was to point people to the Lamb of God, Jesus, the Messiah, who would come to take away the sins of the world and to help people understand that they must put their faith in Him. Thirdly, we saw they maintain a consciousness of sins, uh, but no cleansing from sin. And that's emphasized in verses 2 and 3. Uh, you see that phrase that they provided a consciousness of sins. Again, because there was no remission of sin, it was just a reminder of the people's sin and guilt. Because they always had to be repeated. They had no access to God. 
So instead of bringing freedom and uh, liberty, it really brought a sense of condemnation and guilt. And again, that was the primary purpose of the law, to prepare us for the coming of Christ, to help us understand that we are sinners, that we cannot save ourselves, that we're in a need of a Savior. And the, blood, and the animal sacrifices, again, were pointing to that coming sacrifice that would do exactly that. And then we saw the conclusion, for it's impossible, he, the writer says, for the blood of bulls and goats uh, to take away sins. You know, I mentioned to you that it is estimated that during the week of Passover in the Old Testament uh, or in the temple in Jerusalem, that as many as 300,000 lambs would be sacrificed in that one week. 300,000 lambs. They said the blood was so great it would go into the uh, ground of the uh, temple area and they prepared special channels that would uh, take the blood from that area and it would pour it into the, uh, into the Kidron Brook. Uh, and the point we simply made, uh, a river of blood created by animals, thousands and thousands, could never remove sin. But the blood of our Savior did. Amen? His one sacrifice. And that led us, of course, to the second point in that message. Uh, the old covenant sacrifices have been now set aside uh, by the one sacrifice of Christ. And again, folks, if I go back to the picture illustration, we're not, we're not bad-mouthing the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. That picture I have of Kathy is still beautiful. It's still precious. It still has wonderful meaning. But I'll tell you something. If I had to choose between the picture and Jesus, who do you think I'm going to choose? Jesus, uh, Kathy, uh, between the picture and Kathy. You understood what I was trying to say. Got a little tongue-tied there. If I had to choose between the picture and uh, Kathy, I'm going to choose the real deal. And the point being, uh, if you're going to you're going to choose the old covenant, or you're going to choose Jesus, the real deal. And once Jesus has arrived, we set aside that which pointed to Him to enjoy uh, Him in His fullness. And then just several points that we made uh, dealing with uh, verses uh, five through ten. It says in that passage that sacrifice and offering thou hast not desired. And when, when it says that, it means the animal sacrifices had no power to satisfy God's justice against sin and provide forgiveness. Again, their only value, as we've repeatedly pointed out, is to point people to Jesus, uh, that Lamb of God who would voluntarily sa- who, whose voluntary sacrifice would provide forgiveness. And then secondly, when it says... Thou hast not taken pleasure in them. It means God could never take pleasure in animal sacrifices who all died involuntarily. That's important to realize. Not one of those animals voluntarily gave their lives. They died involuntarily. In stark contrast, Jesus offered His body as a sacrifice in devoted submission to His Father's will. And herein lies the power of Christ's sacrifice that it was a voluntary act of love for you in obedience to His Father where we find the efficacy of His sacrifice. And then the third truth, because of Christ's will being submitted to the Father to the point of death, we are now sanctified or set apart for God's intended purpose. Look at verse 10, just a beautiful verse. By this will... Talking about the will of Christ who voluntarily offered himself as a sacrifice. We have been, what? Sanctified. 
we have been declared righteous. We have been made holy through the offering of the one body of Jesus Christ, notice, once for all. And as we mentioned here, this is something the law could never do. It could set us apart. The law could set you apart to be shunned or to be stoned, but it could never empower you to fulfill God's purpose. The third truth that we saw in that message is the old covenant priests have been set aside by the one priest seated and enthroned at God's right hand. In other words, uh, the Old Testament priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, is now obsolete because of the coming of Jesus. And we saw the stark contrast between the Old Testament priest and the priesthood of Jesus. They made repeated sacrifices. He made what? One sacrifice that sanctified us uh, forever. Uh, remember we noted the fact that the one f- piece of furniture that is uh, absent in the uh, tabernacle in the temple, chairs. And the reason, because the priest's work was never done. They never sat. They always remained standing, going about their work. In contrast, Jesus is now what? Seated at the right hand of majesty. Seated, indicating what? It is finished. His work, and what is finished? His death which canceled out our sin debt and imputed His righteousness to those who put their faith in Him. And then the fourth truth. Uh, Because of the adequacy of the provisions of the new covenant, there is no more sacrifice for sins necessary. Amen and amen. And we saw there are two fundamental promises, guarantees in the new covenant. And folks, that's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. Remember, we've shared with you that word covenant is synonymous with testament, the last will and testament of an individual. So this is the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. And once he died, his will was put into effect. His father swearing, I'm going to honor my son by fulfilling every one of these promises. And the Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead who affects these truths in our heart as He takes up what? Residence in our hearts. Something that was unknown in the Old Covenant. Now we have become the temple of God. The Holy of Holies is within us. And He's there to fulfill every one of these promises. And the two fundamental promises, number one, you see there, empowerment. Empowerment. He says, I will put my laws upon their heart and upon their mind... I will write them. And then uh, note, having God's laws inscribed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who has taken up residence in our hearts, as opposed to an eternal standard written on stone, is the primary difference between the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. The New Covenant provides both the motivation and the empowerment to please God through the Holy Spirit that has taken up residence in our hearts. And as the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts, as we walk through each day, as we confront circumstances, as adversity, various relational issues, the Holy Spirit is there to plant in our hearts, in our minds, the truth of God's Word to give us guidance, to give us direction. And not only to give us that guidance and that direction, but also the empowerment to live it out and to honor God and to please God. And, of course, that has only been made possible by 
the most wonderful blessing of the new covenant, and that is forgiveness. Forgiveness that you see there in verses 17 and 18. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. So note, sin no longer is an obstacle to an everlasting covenant relationship with God. The people of the new covenant enjoy unhindered access to God's presence. Folks, I hope you heard that. I hope you heard it in the last message. In other words, as a believer, if you stumble or fall into sin, that need not prevent you from knowing God's presence and His blessing. In other words, because He did die for you, because that sin has been forgiven, and you justified, declared not guilty, you can walk right into God's presence, acknowledging that sin, knowing you won't be blown away by His wrath and fury. You'll be met by His love and grace. He'll cleanse you of that as you acknowledge that. And not only will He cleanse you, but He'll give you the empowerment to turn from that sin and live a new walk in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the fifth, the last truth we focused in on is Christ's sacrifice opens the way to God. Uh, look at verse uh, 19. Since therefore, brethren, and, and folks, we mentioned, this is the climax of the book of Hebrews. I mean, everything he has said up to this point has been leading to verse 19. Since therefore, brethren... We have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh, referring to His death. And since we now do have that great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day of His return. And we said there are three facts to be counted on in those verses, and there are three commands to obey. And the three facts that we looked at is present approach. Right now, I have confidence to enter His presence. Christianity is not just about looking back to the past. It's not just about looking forward to the future. And when we come to the Lord's table, yes, we are remembering the past, who Jesus is, what He did. And yes, we are wonderfully looking forward to the, our eternal hope when Jesus will return. But folks, when we come to this table, we come to a Jesus who's here, who's present, who's removed every obstacle so that we can draw near to find cleansing, to find empowerment, and to live a life pleasing to Him. And then perpetual access. We have access 24-7. I mean, that old Israelite back in the Old Testament... He couldn't even get into the outer court. We, meant, we mentioned that. Only the priest could minister even in the, in the, on the holy place, that, that, that outer place. 
And then only that high priest, one time a year, could go into the Holy of Holies. Now, every one of us has 24-7 access into the Holy of Holies, God's intimate presence. And we have perfect assurance because we come to what? Our great high priest, our faithful high priest, who gives what? Mercy. Mercy is what? Giving somebody what they, what? Right. And he gives us grace, which is giving somebody what? Yeah, what we get what we don't deserve because of his great love for us. And then look at the commands to be uh, obeyed. And uh, we'll make this as our transition into the Lord's Supper. He says first, now, now hear me now. This has been wonderful truth. But we're talking about a relationship with God. We have to reciprocate. There are commands for us to obey if we're going to know in fullness all that God has promised us. And he says, basically, here it is. This is what I'm asking of you. First, draw near with a sincere heart. You say, what is a sincere heart? To put it in the most simplistic terms, it's an undivided heart. God says, in light of what Jesus did for you, I want you to come with an undivided heart where I have your undivided attention, I have your undying affection, and I have your uncompromising allegiance. A sincere heart, you could also say, is a consecrated heart, a cleansed heart. Again, sin is no longer an obstacle. I hope you understand this. For so many years in my Christian life, I would fall into sin, and I'd fall into guilt, and I would think I would have to work that guilt off in a, in a lot of good works, get back into God's favor. And then one day, God gloriously opened my eyes. He has forgiven me. The obstacle's been removed. That doesn't mean I'm flippant with God. What that means is, I don't need to wait before I do a bunch of good works to earn God's approval. In my failure, I walk into the Holy of Holies, but sincere. Undivided heart, being honest. God, I blew it. I was wrong. That was filthy. That attitude was not right, how I acted toward it. And God, God, I'm coming for cleansing. And I'm not only coming from, for cleansing because I'm totally dependent upon you. I'm coming to receive empowerment, to live a different way, and to honor you. That's what a sincere heart is. And he says, not only do we come with a sincere heart, we're to draw, what? Holding fast, what? Our hope. In other words, placing our confidence in his promises without wavering. You know, the Bible, later in Hebrews, it says, faith, without faith is what? Impossible to please God. And faith is the assurance of things, what? Hoped for. So God says, when you come, I want you to come with that undivided heart, that heart that's consecrated, that's transparent, that's honest with, before me, that is cleansed before me, but I also want you to come with confidence, believing me, believing my promises, that you can count on me, that you do have a great and faithful high priest who will meet you with grace and mercy in your time of need. And he says, the third thing I want you to come realizing, I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. You know, I want to use you to stir up others, to stimulate others into love and good deeds. 
I, I, I want you to know the mind of Christ that does nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, you begin to regard others more important than yourself. I want you to learn the eyes of Christ that doesn't look just to your personal interest, but to the interest of others. I want you to learn the arms of Christ, where you begin to embrace others as Christ embraced you, who did not consider equality with God as something selfishly to cling on to. But despite that high position, he emptied himself, becoming a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man and being found as a, as a parent as a man. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And, and I want to learn, and I want you to learn the heart of Christ's love that is willing to go to the point of death to love others. That you would learn to love as Christ loved. So as we come to the Lord's table this morning, this is what I would recommend. Could you, in a moment, you're, he's going to begin to move out of the aisle. and Could you just imagine, as you're moving towards the front, you're coming into the Holy of Holies. And as you come, first you come with a sincere heart. You come, knowing that your sins are forgiven, and you come, God, search me and try me. God, is there anything between me and you right now that I need to acknowledge and be cleansed of so we can enjoy fellowship with one another? Is there anything between me and another person that I need to make right with you and then at my earliest opportunity make right with that person? Maybe your marriage partner? Maybe a person in the church family? I, I, I don't know. We'll let God do the convicting. But as you come forward, you come with that sincere, God, here I am. Search me. Try me. And then as he points that things out, acknowledge that. Confess it. Knowing if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just what? To forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then as you come, come with hope. And that word hope in the New Testament means confidence. Come knowing God is true to his promises. And so you're going to put your stock in His promises, not how you feel. In other words, what's going to rule in your life? Your feelings or God's Word? Your guilt or God's promise that your sins have been forgiven? And then come saying, God, I want to be used by you. I want to be used to impact others. To make a difference in the lives of others. It's, it's not all about me. It's about, it's about you, Lord. It's, it's about using me as a vessel to minister to others. We're told on the night in which Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread and after he'd broken it, he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body broken for you in what? And do this in remembrance of me. This is my body given for you, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then it says he took the cup after the supper. And he says, this cup represents that new covenant that was cut in my blood. Those promises of forgiveness and empowerment. The Holy Spirit would take up residence in your heart to plant his word, his truth on your mind and your heart. Father, as we come to participate in the Lord's Supper, Give us grace.
come with sincere hearts, consecrated hearts, cleansed hearts, knowing that we need not fear to come into your presence acknowledging our sin, and we need not fear it because Jesus already paid the penalty. All you're asking from us is absolute honesty. And then, Lord, give us grace to come with confidence, confidence in your promises that you will do what you said you would do to forgive us, to cleanse us, to empower us. And then, Lord, give us uh, the grace to come with a heart to love others as you have loved us, that Christ's life would be formed in us to be displayed through us. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.